Hello and welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Join us as we chat about the weird and wild world of small cap investing, all while searching for the precious few fast-growing businesses that have a shot at becoming industry giants. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Cool. All right, let's kick it off. What do we got today? So let's start with some good news. There was one I think I sent you guys earlier in the week. UVC light. UVC light? Yeah, that's the right way of saying it. Human safe UVC light might mean you don't get sick as often. An ability to put up these special UV lights potentially in a certain nanometer wavelength, which kills off bacteria. There have been some early tests showing that it could kill off viruses and bacteria in the light. And so the idea is you can just have these lights everywhere. We don't really notice them. And uh, we would dramatically prevent or reduce the ability for disease to spread, kind of preventing the next pandemic potentially. So a passive device, make everything that it touches clean and safe. That's a real thing, Matt. And that is good news as well. Like that's something they can use, they could use, and they should use in classrooms, for example. They can pump air through a UV thing and kill the viruses in there, could massively reduce the spread. I actually first encountered this because um, I was asking the preschool my kid was going to go to about what they were doing. And in one of the rooms, it turned out like what they had is because uh, it didn't have the best ventilation. They had a UVC. Yeah. Thing. Wow. Yeah. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not sure if the, the weakness in those things as well, of course, is whether it's actually being in use and all that kind of thing. Yeah. There's also the potential to get a pretty gnarly sunburn and like, yeah, but they don't shine the light at roll. you. They shine the, the light in the air and then they try and pump. The, I assume then they try and have a machine that like pumps the air in the room through the machine. Where, oh, yeah, I, I think, think there's two. This, this is, so what this one is talking about is the idea of shining the light at like everywhere. Um, I think yeah, you're right. right. So that at the moment is an well, air That would be even more effective. TV. Yeah, but that's... Oh, but right. So the new like bit a, is human safe, is it? Human safe. Yeah, that's. but it's, yeah. again, it's, um, it, I'd read another thing like a week after I first sent that to you, a few days after someone else being like, uh, like it's going to be a long time. They need to do trials to make sure it is really human safe. And they yeah. need to get the something about the efficiency of the way that they do it now. It just would be, be like way too hot. They need to have some um, LED version of it. So it's probably not immediate for it. But yeah, the idea would be you just have it everywhere. So it's not just that that's cleaning the air. It's literally just like as you walk in, it would be cleaning you <laughs> basically and everything yeah. else, which is which would I, be pretty cool. I feel yeah, like I I've probably said this on the on the pod before, but one thing in this category that always sticks in my mind is this amazing. I think it's called the Orpheum in ooh, somewhere in. Canada, this old theater built in like the, the early 1920s after the last pandemic. And it has an old school ventilation system where beneath every single seat was a vent where air was pumped and the air was taken out through a false ceiling. So the ceiling actually had holes in it and it, and it get up that way. So even with their old school technology 100 years ago, they had this incredible uh, ventilation uh, system that also made sure the flow was up so it wasn't even mm. going to be like if you know if you were coughing the guy next to you wasn't going to get it because you're being sucked to the side it's just going straight up so people aren't mixing their air and sure enough somebody in this pandemic went to a, a, an event there and measured the co2 which is a good measure of uh how you know well the, a place is ventilated it's mm. it's not the measure of whether you get sick it's just how well it's ventilated and it was actually really good. It was like 500 and something parts per million with the actual atmosphere being like 430 or around there, I think. So oh, wow. uh, very well ventilated, not that much worse than being outside for that old school system. 
It's like sitting in a giant laminar flow cupboard. Yeah, and that, that would be my, my dream location for a gig, I reckon. <laughs> What's a like laminar a, flow cupboard? Feels like it's a what you upgrade. use when you're, uh, yeah, when you're plating up on, uh, you, you're growing all your kinds of bacteria. Just it, it pushes air in a very uh, non-chaotic, smooth flow, which mm-hmm. helps, uh, yeah, which just helps keep things clean. It helps to I grow have bacteria, some, though. That sounds weird. What's that? Sorry. It helps to grow bacteria, so it's like. So no, you know when you when you're spreading your plates and you're okay. cultivating and stuff, you do it in that. So you've only. I don't even talk about this stuff. Like I'm supposed to know. I relate. You know when you're spreading your plates, <laughs> your bacteria plates around. Laminar flow is actually just a really cool thing. Actually, just in general, right, you let's, would let's do it with uh, water flow. Andrew, Andrew, the microbiologist. How many of our exactly. listeners have met that guy before? Exactly. Hello. Yeah, it's cool. Well, just on that, just I, look, maybe things have changed a bit since my time, but I mean, the the, F, the reason that UV light works is because it, it kills, well, it breaks the DNA. So that that's why it's so broad-based in terms of whether it be a virus or a bacteria. So you've got to wonder, how does that not, I mean, we've, we've got the same DNA inside us as bacteria do. So the, I, I would have, I, I would want to see some pretty extensive trials to make sure that this isn't like giving us all cancer or something <laughs> before I was going to bathe myself in this new new type of UV light that's that we've discovered. All right. What's well, so right, good, good news? news is <laughs> 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 Let's get on to what else is going on. Well, what was the other thing was the uh, pivot. I think we, that was happening after the last time that we had an episode, right? It was like, what's what's going to happen? Yeah, it's funny. I was chatting with some American investor friends and like see their like group chat during that whole day because at first the market went up a lot, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. the market goes up on like the Fed's news on the like written comments and then he gives a press conference and it like plummets again. <laughs> so it's just funny like tracking the mood of a group of investors. But yeah, I guess the big change was it just the market had been very excited about a pivot and now they're kind of saying like don't stop thinking about the pivot. Rates are going to be higher. You should be thinking about the absolute level they get to, not like how fast we get there. But one interesting chart that was floating around on Twitter was kind of showing this idea of the pivot and what happens after. So it's typically after the pivot, not always, but it's often after the pivot that a lot of the market decline has happened in the US because that is when, you know, it's the Fed pivots because the economy is going badly. So yeah, interested in your guys' thoughts. Um, there's been a heck of a lot of talk about a pivot. What, what do you guys think about it? Why is, why is everyone so excited for it if it's not actually um, not actually that great? I mean, is it is it a thing? Is it when's it? We we know it's just going to happen eventually, right? But people are just getting excited about. Oh, it's going to be soon. It's going to be now, right? But as you just said, actually, probably what's going to happen is they're just going to hold it on this course until things do start getting ugly, and then they're going to pivot. In which case, we're still, as you were saying, historically, whether it's half or more than half or whatever. I really think the hypothesis that we should test is: is it fair to say that the bear market is not over until we do see this pivot. So if you wanted to be safe, you would say, well, I'm going to maintain a conservative posturing until we see this pivot as one of the signs that it might be starting at least to get into the second half of the bear market. Do you know what I mean? So, and for that, I think there's a strong case to be argued for. Yeah, like probably do remain fairly. I will personally probably still remain quite cautious because I think that it's very unlikely that once things do start going worse in the economy, it turns out everybody has prepared for that. I feel like there's still probably like a fair number of people who are reasonably oblivious to the concerns that we talk about quite frequently amongst ourselves that are just like still yoloed into property, their debt to the eyeballs, like if they lose their job, 
they're screwed, but they don't worry about that because the employment markets are going to be so has been so good at the moment, and maybe that changes at some point. Reminds me of that that meme of the um. There's a guy in the corner of the of, of the party by himself with his party hat on and his drink, and like this, the thought bubble is like, <laughs> no one's thinking about the Fed pivot except for me, type thing, and everyone else is yeah. just partying. Along. They don't know about the point. The the Fed pivot's not come yet. <laughs> yeah, or just insert insert current sort of macro concern kind of thing. I I often yeah. think about that meme because like we are so in our own bubble, and you identify with that guy, do you? I, I really identify <laughs> with it because it, 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 actually, it was, I was ranting at the TV last night as I as I am watching. <laughs> Do. <laughs> like, I would love to just watch the channel just as you ranting on TV. What's that Gogglebox thing? Have you guys ever watched Gogglebox? Gogglebox, oh man, I was made for that show. Actually, I got a I got a bit of a, well, a wake up call the other day when um, my little girl had a friend around and something saying, "Oh, Dad always shouts at the TV when the news is on," and I was like, "Okay, I've got to I've got to I've got to be more aware of my actions here." The finance report they were talking about, consumer sentiment figures were out and they were like really low, like one of the lowest we've seen in a long time. And yet consumer spending was was like massively high, like at record levels. And it just, you know, like I think economists and people in this space, we sort of tie ourselves up trying to sort of rationalize that and draw a rational line through it as to why this would make sense. And I think you've just nailed it, Claude. I think it's it's actually, there is no rationale to it. I think most people just live in the moment, day to day, week to week, paycheck to paycheck. And they're just, they're not thinking about these things. It's not, it's not even that they're just ignoring it. They're not, it's not even on the radar. And I don't, I don't say that in a, in a derisive kind of way. It's just, you know, we're all getting on with our lives and trying to make ends meet. And we work in this space. So we're hyper tuned into it. Anyone listening to this podcast is by definition, the same kind of in that same little bubble, but for, for people outside of that, you know, they know about as much as that as I do in, in you know, to the, to the, the, the culture of cross stitching or whatever. I'm just, I'm just completely outside of that world. And I think, I think that's basically what it is, right? Like we, yeah. there is, there is no hyper rational reason as to what's going on. It's weird when you chat with someone about it and they, um, their eyes just start, you like, you get really excited because they bring up something like rates <laughs> you yeah, start going yeah. and they're like, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you think Actually, we had a, a barbecue on the weekend. Too, in Oz, like compared to the States where I guess more people are probably invested in the property market and then relatively like, you know, our rates are still a bit lower and things don't seem to have been affecting the economy as much yet here. Yeah, there's apparently a three-month lag between even from people on variable mortgages before the interest rates sort of- I feel like through. it's starting to filter through though, like- you know, the friends that have got their five-year fixed mortgage for as much or all of it as they can are kind of mm. like, isn't that funny though, too? Because we've got some friends who just like, just through chance timed it really well. And then fantastic. Go, Haha, we've locked it in for until 2023. You're like, yeah, but that's, you're either going to die or that's going to be like not that far <laughs> yeah, away. Like yeah. don't, don't celebrate. I mean, yeah, some, of, some people like lock it in, have locked it in for like three years at least like this. I remember mm. like, you know, mm. not that long ago, there was an option to lock in for like years, I think. That's, that's true. But I mean, I guess the, the, you might be able to correct me on this. I think the, the downside of the lock-in fixed interest rate is that you, you get penalized if you pay off additional components like again against the schedule so in other words here i'm in this environment where i'm paying much less servicing costs for my mortgage 
And that would be a really wonderful opportunity to make hay while the sun shines and just like just reduce the principal amount as much as you possibly can before the interest rate kicks in. But I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in many of those those the way those products are structured, you can't, at least not without a penalty. Yeah. I don't know, but you might be right because I, I think a lot of people also have have a situation where they've got like say a certain amount of it fixed and a certain amount of it floating. So like mm. maybe they did that so that there's a bit they knew they weren't going to pay back, so they fixed that, and then for the floating bit they paying it down as quickly oh, yeah. as they can. Yeah, I yeah. mean, look, um, it shouldn't th- I shouldn't be throwing wet blankets here. It's great if you fix it, you know, one that is that is brilliant. But yeah, I just I wonder when you draw a awesome. line over a twenty five year mortgage period and just sort of say, you know, how how much is this? saving you like yeah, yeah saving 25 money. years that's that's like more than three times seven andrew what <laughs> you, you know what happens every seven years right oh sorry you got yes <laughs> I, oh, I forgot that one. i forgot yeah sorry i forgot property doubles every seven years so for but, listening at home, yeah, 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 well, it yeah, obviously yeah. actually doesn't but that's what some people say <laughs> yeah. hey um what about the uh, <laughs> the Google reviews? Um, so a friend sent through, I shared a couple of these with you guys earlier in the week. Um, apparently, yeah, the RBA gets reviews on Google, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting thing to happen. Um, and they are scathing. <laughs> uh, some of the most brutal reviews I could ever imagine reading. Um, yeah, he, Philip Lowe has performed a very low act. He has misled and deceived and capital as a whole Australian community. I won't read it all, but some threats of violence that are pretty crazy. Legal action. Keeping in be- mind, we're obviously not like agreeing with any of these reviews. Yeah, we're correct. Stating their fact. What do you guys think? It, it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. I guess it's a good a good reminder of like the bubble that we live in, where we're all probably biased towards equity markets. A lot of people listening to this are. I just think it shows how much anger there is out there, right? There's a lot of people who, uh, you know, who have a lot of debt and this is a, a really big a really big issue for them, basically. There, there was common consensus, uh, oh, I, I thought anyway, amongst a lot of my friends that, you know, it was kind of like a signed contract almost that, you know, when they said, you know, rates weren't going up for that mm. amount of time. Um, that, that's I mean, what they're all mentioning. I should have said that as well. They're basically saying when stating interest rates will remain unchanged until at least 2024, um, you know, and they're saying he's just doing this to help the big banks, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, anybody taking that as, you know, law or anything is, I mean, it's just a dangerous situation. But, you know, it was a very crazy circumstances when the rates did drop so low as they did, you know, global pandemic and so many things were so uncertain. And I think the move then was to um, give everybody confidence that, you know, things were going to be okay through a global pandemic. But for the property market then to rocket up and then people to load up on mortgages that when property prices were sky high, um, you know, that's, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure how wise a move that would be when, I mean, things just can't grow that quickly um, at a fundamental level, I feel. <laughs> you sound like 2015 me, Kev. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And and it's it's pretty wild. Actually, a couple of things. I'm no, no defender of central bankers, but they never said that, right? Like that, the the new, like I think they basically said we don't anticipate or something like that. But it's become the popular narrative has become that they did sign this blood oath contract that it's just like it's never going to happen. So that's point one. Point two, just very quickly, it's like you know, you this is just a broader rant, you know, society in general. It's like there's no personal responsibility anymore. You load yourself up to the eyeballs 
And when, and when, you know, interest rates move shock horror, which they sometimes do and go back to still very low historical rates. It's everyone's fault except your own. It kind of, it sticks in my craw a little bit. And I've said before, it's probably the the anger is probably best um, thrown at the banks and the mortgage brokers and that. And, you know, again, people are just trying to get by and do what they they feel is the right thing. I appreciate that point of view. Like I really sympathize with your frustration at like the lack of personal responsibility. However, it's not where I ultimately land because I think it's just like a real wake up call for the fact that, you know, the RBA is talking not just to people that think about these things and have even a sense of personal responsibility. They might be talking to, you know, we all know like the danger when talking to people about anything to do with finance is there's a certain level of sophistication where people are taking responsibility themselves and those people are engaging their brains. They usually do well, but even if they do badly, they don't do too badly because they're taking certain, you know, conservatism in their behavior, whether that's not taking too large a mortgage or whether that's diversifying their investments in a few different places or all of the con- like obvious things that you would do if you were like had a personal responsibility on your hat on and you're like, this is my wealth and my family's wealth and I need to make good decisions and it's on my shoulders. However, there's always that group of people and I have no idea how big they are, but unfortunately RBA talks to everyone. So it's including the people who like literally cannot handle anything other than being told exactly what to do. That is the level of responsibility they're willing to take is to look to somebody that they trust, which might be the mortgage broker, for example, or the bank. And if they tr- if that's the guy that's going to get them the loan, that's the guy they trust. And that's where you run into problems because their level of sophistication hasn't extended to being like, oh, wait a second, it's in the mortgage broker's interest for him to like, for me to buy the most expensive house possible and him have the biggest commission. And it's also in the bank's interest to lend me as much as possible as well. So but they didn't even realize that. So actually the fact that they would listen to the RBA is not such a bad thing, right? And I think that the the learning from this situation is the RBA needs to be super clear on telling people how to, you know, if they say, oh, we think interest rates are going to be low for quite a while, they should also say, but don't go and YOLO to the absolute up to your eyeballs in debt because even if they are low for a while at some point they will go up and if they've been low for a long time they might go up really fast so you should assume that they are going to go up when you make decisions about how much you're going to borrow and that simple just having a bit of balance to what they said probably would have helped a lot of these people and usually i would say yeah sure not their fault but in the case of them being actually the rba well I think it's a learning that they are they are talking to all these people. And I think that's what the Fed kind of found, right? Because it's not just what the RBA's words are or the Fed's words, it's the media's response to it. Like they have to just be, they have to be almost like ultra conservative just to stop people running away with it when they're in that moment and they just want to hear what they you know want to hear. If you have any thoughts on Andrew, any feedback on what he just said, please look up a Google <laughs> review for Andrew or Strawman. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, isn't it? Like sometimes you just got to pinch yourself. Like the world we live in, isn't it? Isn't it just a little bit crazy that like the utterances of uh, unelected bureaucrat can like literally wipe or add I know billions that you're, of dollars? I know you're that's a bit we'll cover crypto later on. It's now. got for nothing all, to do with that. It's just for, it's just for all of what I said is I don't think any of like I don't think it's good for people or healthy for them to be like leaving you know, angry Google reviews to the RBA. But I do think it is an interesting gauge of like the different perspectives out there. Yeah, you know? but no, to your point, Andrew, it is weird that we- uh... it's, it's weird, man. Like it's, it's it's really weird that, and it's not just, so it's, we've got kind of like turtles on turtles here where it's just like 
the RBA does something, and that's contrasted against what a bunch of economists and whatever thought was going to happen. And then they then there's a reaction to that. Then there's a reaction to the statement. Then there's a reaction to the press conference. Then there's a reaction to what the journalists are sort of saying about it. It's like no one knows what's going on, and everyone's looking for social cues from everyone else. And it's just a little bit mad, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just sort of like kind of inadvertently perpetuate the nonsense by by sort of giving it credence and, and talking about it when the reality is is you just kind of I think probably the pragmatic angle here is like look no one knows what's going to go on I mean you can look at you can go back over any period you like and look at the RBAs or the Fed's forecast and it's just always wrong and again because it's hyper complex <laughs> chaotic kind of system they're very hard to sort of get right but you know it's like fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me fool me a thousand times like really shame on me and and at a point just sort of say Listen, I'm just I'm just going to admit that I I don't know and I can't know, but I'm just going to put a hell of a buffer in there just to in case something really untowards happens, I'm I'm going to be okay. And I say that and at the same time think actually that has been the exact wrong approach for the last 10 years because the right approach was really to use your term Claude is to just YOLO up to the eyeballs and like that that was the that was the behavior that's that the was tragedy rewarded. of it isn't it right and, and prudence was punished and that's it's just again a little bit crazy rant, yeah. rant over rant Good. over Good. I think that's what's happening <laughs> I think that's why people are looking for the pivot I think people have been trained to look for a pivot because it's happened over the last um whatever it is 15 years. It's like um, we were we were like little kids when there was a recession in Australia. Oh, mm. Kev, were you a little kid? I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> 1991, right? 1991. Yeah. Andrew was... Um, I was only 38. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump around. Andrew, you talked to Navadi recently, right? Uh, not so, well. Back in August, we spoke. Oh, okay, to them. okay. But yeah. they had some pretty okay. So they had some good news out. They've got a banking license. I think you talked about it on the pod before. But they're a payments company, and they've just got a banking license. They're up like forty percent, roughly, in a week. What's man? Um, they're up seventy percent intraday 70%. on the announcement of oh, the wow. news. Yeah. So it's NOV's the code. Novartis the company. It's a payments processing sort of. They just the, the whole idea is just to enable merchants and people just to transfer money and do all that kind of stuff super, super easy. Uh, it's got a few sort of buzzwords under the hood there with blockchain, et cetera, et cetera. They're doing a stable coin, whatever. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. The, the I mean, the, the compounded top line growth over the last five years has been something insane. Like they've been doing- Some connection to China as well, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, they do a lot of, they do a lot of cross-border payments and mm. remittances and stuff. So you know, like- the the processing volumes doubled over the last year in the recent quarters. Sales have doubled over the recent um, quarters on an annual basis. Cash flow negative, but cash use is dropping very rapidly. So I don't own any share. Uh, actually, that's that's a lie. I do own a small amount of shares. What am I saying here? So when Peter spoke to us, he was basically saying, "Yeah, we're we've been applying. It's been out in the market for a while. We're really confident we're going to get it." should have paid more attention because when it came through, as I said, there was a huge increase here and it means that they can do a lot of stuff at much better margin because in fact, half of their their part or their customers are, are payments providers, fintechs, even some banks in some, in some regards. And so it basically allows them to sort of cut out a middleman there and they can also do um, borderless bank accounts now. So if you're coming to Australia, you can set up your bank account remotely, apply totally online. 
start transacting instantly, do cross-border lending in a much more efficient way and just get better margins out of it. So it is a good deal, core part of their strategy. Interesting, interesting little company. I think they're targeting that underserved migrant sector. I think it was one area that they were talking about. So, you know, as Australia and the world kind of opens up, um, you know, you've got international students, whether it be from India or whatever, that can kind of do a lot of that stuff, um, the banking side of things and, and move money before they, you know, their feet sort of hit the ground in Australia. Hmm. I think they were saying, you know, cl- potentially close to $3 million in operational cost savings um, with this license in place. So, yeah, pretty significant milestone for, for the business. Do you think they'll be profitable soon now, Andrew? So, uh, one of the questions I'd have to go back and listen to. Actually, for those that are interested, I tweeted out the recording of that. We've made it public. So, if you want to watch that and some of the more popular ones from the year that have been released. So, just a quick quick shill there and a plug. But yeah, I believe he was saying that the the team size was about right at this stage. So it's the, in theory, there should be some nice operating leverage there. And as as sales continue on their current trajectory, uh, yeah, they, they should very much be cash flow positive. I think there's about $14 million of cash on hand. Um, so there's, there's a decent runway there. They're in no danger of needing to raise capital anytime soon. It's just such a fascinating space. I, I, I've got a little, as I say, a toe in the water because I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on disruption in that space, but I don't, I, yeah, it's just, it's just moving so quickly. I do know that the legacy banking system is in, is in trouble. If anyone has ever tried to do, particularly if you've been coming from an overseas jurisdiction into Australia and trying to set this stuff up, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. So hopefully, hopefully Navadi and others can bring it into the 21st century. Some other news this week was uh, Lark got a new CEO. I realized we never actually talked about this. I think we planned to talk about it. How did Lark. we not talk about it? I think yeah. it was probably, I don't know, we have to use the word allegedly a lot maybe. It was, like, it was just breaking <laughs> the time. I mean, there was definitely allegedly a video of him smoking something that looked allegedly like it might have possibly been like crack on ice or something. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the backstory, I'm sure a lot of folks are not, is there was a video came out. Um, he was reportedly blackmailed. The video was released to the press after him re- refusing to pay the blackmail. And then he did an interview with, was it Sydney Morning Herald? I can't remember who it was with, where he kind of did like an exclusive telling his side of the story. And it was quite a sympathetic story. Is like, look, I you know, just sold a business and I was in... Bali or somewhere and I was having Island. a party and someone invited me back and they slipped something in my drink and next minute, you know. Smoking <laughs> crack in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I got blackmailed and it's really horrible. I mean, that could happen though. Like that's Yeah, that was, that's a very, yeah, it's a very scary story, right? Like, um, Yeah, exactly. I was going to say there was some doubt cast on that interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, then it was, someone was like, it looks like his house though. Yeah, that was the thing. So then there was an interview. He'd done a previous like showing off his house or selling the house or something where I think he had people through and it was like clearly the same light fixtures and, and room that it had been. Um, suspiciously and like his own house. Allegedly, yeah. I haven't heard much more on the story since then, but um, obviously he left and, uh, yeah, they found a new CEO. So, yeah. What it's a way to the, go It's got to be one of the wildest updates you've ever seen in, um, I don't know, Australian But CEO. I think that the real story here was that, like, this stock was just on a massive, like, it was such a massive, like, hype story that it's just like, you know how these things are. Look, I'm not trying to mm-hmm. say I'm an expert on it. If you're, like, a lark baggy, please don't at me. I'm just saying that. Find Claude's uh, Google. Um, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> do not. Don't tweet me. Don't even joke about it. The last <laughs> thing I need is more. 
<laughs> random abuse. No, like all I'm saying is that the uh, the big thing about these kind of businesses is that a lot of the value in the business ends up being on the balance sheet in the form of whiskey or whatever. That was so, a part of the thesis, wasn't it? It's like, look yeah, and that's like, a, okay, whiskey, this is a bit of an unusual way. It's not the same as being like, hey, this company has a durable competitive advantage, which I, you know, believe is it is either forming or has already proven that it's formed and, you know, act accordingly. Um, but it's more just like, hey, this has got X amount of value on the balance sheet in terms of whiskey that it's going to convert to cash at some point in the future. And, um, you know, how good is it, mate? And then, like, everybody's on Twitter being like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really good and everything. And it's all just, like, super simple comes down to, like, you know, how real is this, like, number, basically, uh, yeah. which is not cash. It's whiskey. You're, you own whiskey or whatever it is. It is kind of weird, right? Because it's in a way, it's just inventory. Like, it's not, in a way, it's not that great of a thing to have to set aside huge amounts of inventory, um, set well, aside huge amounts of cash. The thing, I've never been able to personally make that leap as to why I should treat it as some, like, oh, it's cheap because of how much whiskey it has, why I should treat it like that instead of, like, you know, I don't look at dusk and be like, oh, look how many, like, candles it's managed to stockpile. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, like, for me, I'm more just looking at it as, like, how much dividends are you paying me, man? Like, that's kind of what I'm interested in for this kind of business but of course there's lots of money to be made in in the sociological phenomena where people are like getting all excited about how good it is and you know mm-hmm. posting videos of themselves drinking it or whatever it, however it happens but of course a little bit of the momentum tends to die if if this happens with the ceo so i think that's what happened now yeah, I mean, yeah. The, re- the revenue was shooting higher right like the sales were just going through the roof it it, it had a reasonable thesis as long as the brand remained well i mean whiskey gets more and more valuable each year as it matures so it sort of like mm-hmm. makes sense but the this is one of those good lessons i think and i've never done the deep dive on it but i think this is another well potentially a good case study in the importance of the cash flow statement because as their revenues were going through the roof, the cash flow from operations was just going through the floor and just getting mm-hmm. larger and larger and larger. And the big change there was the change in, in inventories. So it's sort of like, well, if you exclude that and, well, maybe you, you capitalize that and you do that at the, the cost of production and then you assume much greater values down the track. I mean, it all makes sense. I'm not trying to allege that there's anything untoward here, but it is it is just worth pointing out that there's, you know, the, the, the three financial most important financial statements all sort of need to be looked at holistically. Yeah, and look, I mean, they didn't even, like, it's not like they made an accounting profit either, like, it, or they made an operating profit that was down on the year before despite revenue growing almost by 50% or around 50%. So, you know, gross profit is up. They have their own expenses, selling, distribution, admin, you know, employees, and basically... Uh, I reckon it probably will be a profitable business in time. Like I wouldn't necessarily bet against it. It's just that that's how I'd be rating on it. I was like, oh, what I reckon the sustainable year-on-year profit is as an ongoing business. Cash flows at the moment, as you said, Andrew, you know, negative. And the reason is because, you know, basically you've got to believe that the values in this whiskey that they can make and then sell for a big margin down the track, supposedly. There's obviously the value of the whiskey has a huge point in this thesis. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that's it. That's kind of, I like that rap from Claude is like uh, the value, valuing it on the, we're not comfortable with valuing it on the value of the whiskey. We should value it on. Yeah. It on all, all good luck to somebody who does and, and wants to make mm. that punt. But I've, I see that as a 
very interesting uncorrelated bet. Mm-hmm. Some other news this week was the perpetual takeover. I don't know if you guys, did you guys have any thoughts on that? We can skip past it if you guys didn't have any too many thoughts on it. Um, yeah, kind of big funds management group being taken over. Founded in 1886, one of the oldest Aussie companies. I think oh, one wow. of our former prime ministers had a hand in it as well, Edward Barton, I believe, from a um, little nugget I picked up from an AFR article. More than a trillion dollars in funds under management and Jeez. absolutely, well, maybe I should use the word allegedly here, <laughs> allegedly woeful allocators of capital. Um I'll Are put you it the out there. The allegation does, does allegedly still work when you're <laughs> I, the one saying. I'm alleged. Yeah, I'm. I'm alleged. <laughs> oh, this is this is a great this is a great example of like the numbers just tell you the story. So again, huge, big. You know what is it? One point seven billion dollar stalwart blue chip dividend paying company that is basically trading at the same share price it was in two thousand and one. And you know, we know we know Mr. Market can be a little bit irrational, um, but we also know that generally it's a weighing machine in the long term. And and I think I think the market's pretty accurately weighing up the fact that these guys have uh, done nothing to sort of sustainably grow cash flows or dividends over time. And and again, I would put that in the context of you know mandated super contributions and over the over the main arc of that period, very very favourable time, uh, very favourable tailwinds. And they still really not created any value for shareholders. So, so no, I've never, I've never been. Maybe I'm being unfair, but I've never dug below that because while the past is no guarantee of the future, that that is a pretty damning historical record. And and yeah. uh, no, not for me. Fair enough. I feel like fund managers have their like natural arc, like as a business. It's hard to bucket forever and perpetuals lasted a super long time. I mean, it's done better than AMP, right? <laughs> That's, that is a low bar, my friend. <laughs> that is a very low bar. And it's just, I guess it's just it, the, the, the power. Magellan of- has had a massive fall as well. Like well, a, well, that was the other cyclical. news this week. Hamish Douglas sold two thirds of his Magellan state. Yeah. Timing. Okay. That's pretty Ooh, wild, man. It's a, it's a fall from grace, right? I think we touched on that one a bit before, but it wasn't that long ago he was- Getting the full spread in the AFR, doing his interview at McDonald's and whatever else, talking about being, you know, the Buffett in Australia. <laughs> that, by the way, if anyone ever c- compares you to Buffett, like, no, yeah, that is like, that is a death knell, right? Like the guy, s- the FTX guy, right, was compared I, to. I was literally reading that thread on that this morning. So this is the Sam Bankman Freed, right? The like. Yep. And yep. the, the cover I saw at the start of the thread about his downfall was a picture of him on the cover of Forbes, I think, with yep. like. Is is he the next Warren Buffett? Question mark. <laughs> just like if you ever go for a photo shoot, there just wear a sign around your neck, like I am not Warren Buffett. Definitely <laughs> not Warren Buffett. I think if you have too many super positive AFR articles, you're like on thin ice. Like yeah, God's going to strike you down somehow. That's true, yeah. Like, and it's not like it's understandable mistake either. Like, what? So Charlie Munger's like love Alibaba, love all of these, you know, Chinese stocks or whatever. So you know, Magellan's like, all right, well, I mean. Buffett's partner among us says it's okay. Let's invest in like heaps of the fund in like Alibaba and Tencent. Like it's as blue chip as they come, just like old Charlie. And then it's just like, she's like, your profits are my profits. (laughs) (laughs) And then like the stock's just off a cliff and like just 
doesn't matter how many profits Alibaba gets now, you know, it's yeah. like, and oh, and we're adjusting our G discount to 95% from <laughs> 94% this year. Um, and then, yeah, and then, of course, all the rest is history and, and now ends up selling a bunch of like 90% down of the peaks or whatever. Ooh. Yeah, that's rough. Um, who was the other guy who was compared to Buffett, the baby Buffett? Um Bill Ackman. Oh no, Ackman. Yeah, Bill Ackman. Math was, yeah, Bill Ackman was, and it, it did lead to a temporary, at least, downfall. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Math, obviously. Well, Math, it's difference between someone else saying it because I, I, I don't it think himself. it's necessarily your fault. You go in for a photo shoot and they put that headline on you, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But if you're saying it, you're about yourself. Like Math was like, oh, I'm the new Buffett. <laughs> no, no, he did. <laughs> Red flags. Before anyone mentions it on Twitter, I was at FinFest with a T-shirt that said the next Warren Buffett on the front. Um, but oh, that was done ironically. I just want to, like, for the record, so clarify. Shout out to the fans. Who has a photo of Andrew in this T-shirt? So you was- got a T-shirt printed just so that you said that about yourself. No, I bought it at the uh, at the Berkshire AGM a few years back. Oh, you again, bought the I, I it was a T-shirt. I babies. Like, I've seen it in baby size. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, and now that I think it's funny if a baby wears it. I think I'd give the I'd cut the baby some slack. I wouldn't. wouldn't yeah, try. yeah. There's there's no excuse. There's no excuse. And 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 if if, if I fall, Matt's like my boys are already still too old for that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just broke their phone. So um, I don't know that you will do one. That's funny. So you were walking around fin. You were, were you on stage wearing that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wore that. And in fact, in fact, just on the train on the way in, there was sort of a lot of raised eyebrows. People going, "Really, dude? Really?" And I was like, "It's uh, ironic. It's ironic." Such an it's opportunity hilarious. to wear the baby giants jumper as well. I know, yeah. missed opportunity, missed opportunity. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm about to lose ninety percent of my net worth, and, <laughs> and it's totally my own fault. Speaking about crypto. Um, <laughs> 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 but I, do you want to? Do you have a high level view of what happened in that FTX thing with Sam Bankman Fried? Yeah, going yeah, down. Yeah. Well, you um, know I do, Matt. You know I do. So what? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, yeah. What happened is they created their own money. Poof, you know, hey, isn't isn't this a great gig? And then they borrowed. They used that as collateral to borrow a bunch of other money. Mm-hmm. And then they spun that into a whole bunch of other shit coins and Ponzi's and. And basically, it gets it gets complicated. But basically, of, of the of the coin that they minted for themselves, they kept most of it. The other bit that was out there was it was leaked on one of the balance sheets of this related party. Is basically like if the the entire net assets of this is predicated on this pretend um, bullshit coin. And so that got leaked. There's some sell pressure. One of the other um, major holders of that was Binance. And they, it was actually a brilliant move. And they just started saying, we're going to dump our $400 billion worth of this and just basically made them go insolvent effectively and then came in and, and offered them a lifeline. So we'll buy you out. So now the, is it just like what a, what a killer move to, to wipe out your biggest competitor, frenemy, they, they like to call themselves. And it's another, uh, yet another lesson. I don't know how many Celsius's and three arrows capitals and, and FTX's we need before people learn this lesson, but you know, this is, this is all largely a, a scam and a Ponzi. And, uh, but basically if your coin has a CEO, it's going to zero and you know, you, you should be well aware of that by this stage. 
If you have any feedback on Andrew's comments, um, please find them on Google. I'm doing you a favor here. Like, honestly, if, if I'll, I will I will happily back this up. It's like if you're holding anything that is, isn't Bitcoin, it's gone to zero, baby. So Binance threatened that they were going to dump it and now they're taking it over. So it's like a power move from them. Basically. Yeah, it's a total power move. Yeah, from CZ. They, 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 they basically had him over a barrel. You know, and, and so it, it it happens to all of these entities. Someone put a really good um, analogy on on Twitter, which was basically Mon- McDonald's creates its own coin, lends a bunch of money against that. Starbucks force sells a bunch of it and forces them into like f- forces them into default on their loan, and then buys McDonald's at like pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Um, so and, then, a, uh, and then McDonald's tweets out, oh, we're so happy to partner with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the, everything's cool. You're all going to be made whole. It's like he, he went from like, like literally $15 billion in paper worth to like 800 million. He's fine. Like he's not going to be hurting too much. But Why I does mean, he still have 800 million? Well, it's, that's the thing. It's kind of like it's not. I think we all think that there's that's like a vault somewhere works. with some cash. Yeah, they <laughs> somehow magically make money and nobody it's like, loses. It's like Bezos's or Musk's wealth. It's all it's all tied to securities, right? So it's sort of okay. it's not. So he's got some other. He's got some other interests. That means he's still worth that potentially, even if this yeah. goes to zero, maybe. Yeah, yeah okay. but you know, it's it's so wild that you can you can basically print your own money these days. Like the Fed gets a little bit of grief, but it's like now companies are doing it as well. And it's this wild west unregulated space and people are doing some really, really dumb shit with it all. And they you know, reality's coming coming back to bite them. So what in. so that sunk all of crypto? Like everything was down a bit um, was that just people nervous about the space? Like even Bitcoin was down like five percent or something. Yeah, yeah, it usually happens. Like everyone, everyone panics and runs for the door. And it's also, I assume that uh, FTX had some Bitcoin that they needed to liquidate very quickly, which added some sell pressure, which sort of flushes out some weaker hands. And I don't know. None, none, I have nothing, nothing has changed with the broader broader um, thesis. I have one <laughs> question opinion. that's only slightly tongue in cheek. Hit me. Um, do you think? Dogecoin is going to zero as well. Yeah, of course it is. Why? No, oh, man, it's such a long conversation. We'll have a beer one time, and I'll I'll get into it with you. But Dogecoin's like designed to go down forever. But will it go to zero? I feel like it, it if it's not zero, it, if it's not zero, it'll effectively be zero. It, I mean, you know, it Doge, recently, Do- right? Because Elon took over Twitter, and people speculate that he's going to yeah. use Dogecoin for, and the then fell down again. I still Elon's can't crazy, but he's that not, I managed he's to not sell that, that Dogecoin at like not near the top but like just it's amazing like i cannot believe that doge bubble thing is like the luckiest randomest thing that's ever happened to me i don't so have for, any anymore for those that know don't know doge is just a hard fork of bitcoin so someone just took the protocol forked it gave it a different name put a dog picture on it it was a joke right it was intentionally mm. as as a joke and then people got on and it just got and then elon was sort of like shit posting on it and it just it got carried away and it's sort of like but there's there's nothing there's 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 absolutely nothing backing it and it's got no value whatsoever and eventually if it doesn't go to absolute zero it'll go to effectively zero as, as they all will except for me. um some other news locally the uh, cosmos asset management is shutting down its crypto funds here so they um they had some hyped exchange traded funds uh, i guess you could own bitcoin ethereum and something else i think via a fund uh, listed uh, ETF and that's been shut down. They only had about a million, 1.6 million of total funds under management. So they're shutting Man. those things down. Yeah. 
What do you think, Andrew? Is this a bearish sign for like widespread <laughs> financial adoption? Of um... on one hand, I want to just like talk about this for the next four hours. On the other hand, I'm just really nervous because it's just it's such a loaded topic, and I just yeah, I'm not comfortable with it. But look, it is this insane period of time where there's absolutely no regulation around this kind of stuff. So you can say and do what you like, and it's just the regulators are just dragging their hands, and it'll all catch up eventually. And people will recognize these as just un- unregulated securities, which is exactly what they are. There's no, there's no utility. There's no business model. There's no- but you don't, You're not a, you're not keen for like a Bitcoin ETF anymore. Oh, I think word, Bitcoin, but- no, I think, I think an, uh, a Bitcoin ETF, which actually holds um, the ETF is, okay. is a, is a useful product for, cause one, okay. it just, yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that's, that's different, but, but all of the, all of these other ones that are just crypto. Yeah. Is, is, I uh, wouldn't touch um, Can we get it back to companies? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, this, there's a another thing that came out. A, a, a broker had sent out something of the next takeover target on the ASX. I'm interested in you, you guys' thoughts. We touched on a little last week of just how many tech and other companies have been taken over. Here's some names they threw out. Big Tin Can, Whisper, Drop Suite, EML Payments, Drone Shield, Pointera, Hansen, Xref. Yeah. What do you guys think? Any thoughts that you guys have, either those ones or other on what kind of what could be the next potential takeover target, assuming that these largely private equity funded takeovers are still happening? Uh, what do you think? Do you think that's a strategy you'd be interested in? Or and if you were going to do it, what would you what ones would be interesting? I don't think it's a strategy I'd be personally interested in because like it's a really binary outcome in terms of which ones come in and which ones do actually get taken over i feel like there is definitely going to be more action in this space just with the valuations and um, share prices depressed from um, the recent market wrecking and i think a few of these companies are definitely there uh, ripe for pe type takeovers especially i think you know there was such a a time frame of abundance where you know it, it was all about top line growth. A few of these uh, companies are still burning cash, and nothing's going to strip that away quicker than a quick PE takeover where they rip everything out and then basically take it private and then and then come back maybe when market conditions are uh, and interest rates are a bit lower again. So that's that's kind of my quick take. It's boring, Kev. We need some more speculation. No, I agree. I, I think <laughs> I, I reckon of that list you said. Different. I'll speculate of that list you said at a glance. I reckon maybe Hanson because it, it has a fair bit of debt, doesn't it, still? Um, yeah, I don't have the number in front of me. It cycles adding debt and doing acquisitions and then yeah. winding them off normally. So. It's a little, I don't know if it would be cheap enough, though. Yeah. It's still pre- its share price has been pretty resilient overall, hasn't it? It has, yeah. It's held up yeah. pretty, pretty well. I mean, XREF is down pretty far off the, off the highs despite reasonable results from memory as well so maybe that's interesting i just think it's it's uh i would never i would never predicate a strategy on it but it's 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 yeah, just neither. one of those things that if you've actually done the proper work on a company and you legitimately have identified value and you're right <laughs> that last part is important you're right others will see it too and mm-hmm. and you're buying it with the with the anticipation that eventually the market will see it but you might get hesitant to use the word lucky but i'll use the word lucky in the sense that 
PE comes out of left field and gives you an instant premium. And, and why I hesitate is because it, it may actually be completely opportunistic and be giving you, even though it's at a higher price than what you, you've currently bought it at and what is currently sitting at, it could be far below what, what the true intrinsic value is. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's unlikely to happen on an, a, a company that's a really crappy company and may have fallen a lot. You know, by the time they these they're not it's not dumb money, right? Like by the time they get into the data room and do the huge due diligence on it, they're not going to go ahead with some massive takeover at a massive premium. There's absolutely nothing of worth there. So you know, stick to the basics, do your work, find the good stuff, and uh, you know, may, mm. may, may, hopefully the market will recognize it. Maybe that maybe PE will recognize it and then overpay for it. But I would never I would never base the strategy on it personally. Yeah. I think there's a few there. I could definitely see it happening for of that list. Probably EML payments one we've covered before. I think Kevin and I chatted before. That could be definitely could potentially be one if if someone thought that they were comfortable enough with the regulatory mistakes that they've made, etc. Another one that's not on that list that we've touched on before is Marley Spoon, which had just rallied recently. Uh, I think almost 40% after releasing its Q3 update with some positive results. It's so this is the meal kit provider. I think we talked about it a bit before. But also, Matt, I'll just I'll chuck in on that rally point. That's even after this rally, it's now back at the price it was before the pandemic. So it's just had such a massive, you know, up and down through the pandemic. Yeah, but it, and it is also a massively larger business than it was pre-pandemic, right? From the the bull side of its um, valuation, like it's it's kept a lot of those customers. Although it, yeah, it's it's kind of leveled up, you could say, in a way. Although you know, it's still. Just around, I think it's burning capital still at the moment. Well, um, supporting that though, and I think it was extremely narrow, but I did notice in the last quarter, I think actually it did generate a tiny bit of actual free cash flow. So maybe yeah. it's on a getting closer to having the kind of scale it needs to be profitable. Though I think there's also a more philosophical question for you guys, which I'd be interested to hear what you think, is how profitable really would this sort of business be at maturity? I think profitable, and I think the way to look at it would be HelloFresh, which is a much larger business um, and is profitable. Or has been, it's I think it's always, but it, it, it runs at like a up to ten to fourteen percent during the pandemic EBITDA margin. The challenge is that Marley Spoon is competing with HelloFresh. I think that's the biggest issue. Is HelloFresh has such vast scale? They kind of got there first. So do they have the potential to just squeeze Marley Spoon? And um, the way that they do it is just offering these free boxes. So just kind of just lower the economics enough such that they, because of their much larger scale, can make, you know, whatever EBITDA margin they want and just Marley Spoon can't. Yeah, you know, just they make a slim margin and Marley Spoon just struggles. Exactly. Marley, they could lower it enough so that they make a you know slim margin and Marley Spoon make no margin until Marley Spoon's gone and then potentially mm. they could right, increase it again from there. So I think that's the biggest challenge but that does mean there's a huge takeout potential for Mali if um, HelloFresh decided that was an easier way to go. There was another company here UFoods which was like a ready-made meal one that I touched on before which got like 100% premium when it happened. The only challenge with Mali is that it's not different enough from HelloFresh to be an acquisition perhaps like they what would you be buying is mostly the customer list like the actual product at least with um, UFoods is quite kind of like adjacent to what HelloFresh is existing Customer oh, so did HelloFresh buy you foods? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. at about a hundred percent premium to what it was trading, but it, you know it had fallen mm. before it got taken out. Yeah, so I think Mali's it seems to be well run for what it is. It's just it's just struggling against this behemoth, and the I think the danger where it would become quite dangerous over time is if it becomes not just a scale loss, but if um, HelloFresh develop more of a network effect by building out their 
distribution so that they're kind of delivering that last mile to you, that makes it more like a network effect if, if that's the way that the industry trends over time. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like seems positive from Marley Spoon. You're right. They had operating cash flow, operating cash flow positive at least. They are, you know, very committed saying that they'll be profitable. I guess the one change in tone from the company is that they seem more open to selling off their European division, which is the loss making part. The Australian part is quite profitable. So maybe they sell off part of the business and that's kind of what get, ticks them past. But yeah, it's, it's wild. It's been an incredible ride for that one up multiples and down <laughs> 10 yeah. bagged and 90% fall or more than 10 but they've got some massive revenues now right they really have like you said you know they've transformed throughout the pandemic current last nine months 303 sorry 313 million euros yeah mm. um so i reckon that you know you could argue like okay let's just say it's a 400 million dollar business broad strokes um maybe it makes a 200 uh, sorry, a 2% profit mar- margin, um, mm-hmm. which is maybe too harsh, but we're saying it's the second best of of the in the, in its sort of area where it competes. So, 8 million profit that would be. And it. I think I'm seeing it correctly. Is it only a 60 million market cap at the moment? So, yeah, you, could see, yeah. you could see it justifying the current price, right? Like, or even having some upside from here as well. Like, but yeah, I... <laughs> This, it stands out to me. I saw it today when we were going to talk about it. I'm like, oh, wow, that's come down a long way. Like I can, I had a chat with a friend of mine, you know, who who was is sort of bullish the the growth in, I was looking back at July last year and it's just like, wow, it's come down a really long way. And what I was sort of thinking at the time is it's a hard slog. It's not actually going to be a high margin business. I think mm-hmm. that that's starting more to be at the forefront now in terms of how the equity is being priced. Yeah. And I'd see it as a distributor. So my base case would be it's going to be low margin. Like if we look at uh, distributors in healthcare IT, we're talking about three point something percent profit before tax margins. Um, so two percent net profit margin, two and a bit. You're probably is the best you're going to get, in my opinion. Yeah, and that that top lines on euros as well. So um, yeah, it's probably yeah, true. The, so the conversion that actually goes another fifty percent or odd higher than what I was saying. So it would be like potentially up to $12 million profit based on what I was just saying. So good, good catch there, Kev. Yeah. I think that, I think that, I think it's interesting considering that it's a distributor or not. That's, um, it's a good way to think about it. I, I think it, HelloFresh seems to show that it's more than that because of the customer relationship, but like the margins have demonstrated, but I'd have to check in on HelloFresh's latest thing. Well, yeah. I reckon that's the difference between me and the people who would be bullish these businesses, basically. Mm. That's the way, a good, good way to frame it. If you see it as distribution and they see it as more of a owning the customer. I'm mission. open to being convinced otherwise, of course, but that would be my base case. One other thing just just quickly get into the news was whether China's going to reverse its COVID zero. It seems like there was a lot of excitement about that. And then once again, they came out and said, no, we're not. Um, but one other bit of news that I, I thought was pretty interesting was China's now calling newlywed couples um, and, and asking them if they're... <laughs> to get pregnant basically asking them why they haven't had a baby yet um it's just kind of stunning for the change <laughs> from uh you know one child policy for decades now china's facing potentially a demographic i don't know if you'd say collapse people some people say collapse but a very sharp and rapid fall in your working age population from you know 1.5 1.4 billion down to people are projecting 700 million so a real big headwind for the economy that's just started to peak and maybe there's just not enough young people after a few decades to replace. Um, fertility rates are way below replacement. 
that's kind of similar in other Western countries, but the driver is we have a lot of immigration that's been offsetting it, so we haven't really noticed the problem yet. China doesn't have the same kind of immigration. So yeah, interesting story. We're interested what you guys think, whether they'll be successful. Um, local, uh, you know, local officials calling up newly married couples every quarter and asking, uh, are you preparing for pregnancy? Yeah, I just feel as though there's a better way of going about it, right? We had a baby bonus. Like, How you know, could you let your country go like this? It's just so wild. It's... I actually, yeah. So I think I think I would use I would use the carrot instead of the stick. Um, personally, um, that's just me. It's the level of oversight into your government, you know, it's like it's the same thing. In like, it's not the same thing. It's a different thing, but from a different angle. The idea of in the US where they like want to be investigating women's menstrual cycles to see if they're having an abortion and all that kind of thing. Like this whole like God, you know, you would have just thought one of the first basic tenets of a decent you know, human society is just like keep out of people's bedrooms and their <laughs> reproductive decisions. Actually, I, one of the it's probably a, a slight tangent, but related is that I I think it's just such a massive competitive advantage to have prosperous free society because you can attract no one's no one's emigrating to China right now to Xi's China. Why would you? <laughs> right. You know, and and yet, and yet, like America, I don't know if this is going to stay true for America, but for the longest of times, and same was true here in Australia and, and other places like that, was just like we we there was always massive demand for people to come here for the opportunity, the freedoms, and all the all the wonderful things that we sort of take for granted. And that means that again, if we had smart policy, we can really attract incredible talent to our shores. And Immigration has been absolutely the key to America's success over the longest of time frames. I mean, now now they're building walls and doing all kinds of dumb shit. But you know, so this, historically, the only safety blanket we have is if we stay to be the nicest place we possibly can be, be our best selves, look after everyone else, make it safe to work, walk the streets, make it safe to send your children to school, yeah, uh, make it safe to get sick look after each other, be the strongest, best, like, yes, let the rich get rich, but also make sure everybody's living a good life. We keep it good here. And then we're all going to do well because we have a constant attraction for all the talent and skill and workers that we need. Yeah. And we can, we can be choosy too, right? We, 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 we just massive, let other countries, like who knows where the next Einstein is, is being born right now or whatever. And it's just like, you, you want to attract them to our country. And yeah. So I, I, I feel as though it's a bit of a, a bit of an arc there, Matt, but yeah, I think it's a dumb, I think it's a dumb move. I think it's a, it's a bad way of going about it, but I think it's probably good for other places. I think it's just hard, right? It's a lot easier to stop someone from doing something than to, especially for something like having a kid. I think it's going to be a lot harder. We'll see how successful that is. I think it's going to be a lot easier to stop people having more than one kid than to try and get people to have three. The funny thing is as well, though, is like I reckon people just naturally have more kids if they've got things like a house to live in and childcare and all of that kind of stuff. If they don't have to struggle for all that, then they're more likely to be right. All right, I've got the spare capacity to have another child or two i'm, I'm also con- continually baffled at how blind we are to demographics like there, there are certain things with you know that predicting the future is hard we all know that that's the game that we're in but when it comes to demographics it's actually pretty easy because these things take a while to sort of change so you you know it's like the aging population the baby boomers everyone's been talking about that for decades because it was as it was as obvious as the sun in the sky like it, it was happening and with what china is now trying to remedy was was always super obvious with the one child policy 
And, you know, so you had expert after expert after expert saying, this is going to come back to bite you. It's going to come back to bite you. And just ignore it, ignore it. And it's just sort of like, it's it seems, I don't know, perplexing, baffling, insane that that we we see some of these trends from miles away and we we just we don't alter course it's kind of i don't know crazy yeah. maybe we'll wrap it there gents been a very good chat i like claude's uh closing closing thoughts maybe i'll go with that claude of your uh be the best be the best we can be and attract everyone to be an amazing country and get out of our bedrooms thanks very much everyone if anyone had any thoughts feedback interesting ideas hit us up on twitter at baby giants pod and until next time thanks very much for listening